Welcome to Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you're a busy woman struggling with hormonal issues like PCOS, fertility struggles, and other hormone imbalances, and you feel like you're the boss of your life in every area but your hormones, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Melissa Groves Azero, integrative women's health dietitian, coffee lover, cat lady, all black wearing, former New York City advertising exec turned professional period fairy. It's my mission to be the no BS hormone nutrition education resource for smart women struggling with hormone imbalances so you can have regular symptom-free periods and optimize your fertility naturally. I'm here to share real, actionable, science-based tips you can use to get real results without cutting out foods, spending hours in the gym or meal prepping, and without losing sleep, because we're all about balance here at The Hormone Dietitian, and I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. I am so, so excited for today's guest. Dr. Janelle Howell, also known as the Vagina Rehab Doctor, is a pelvic physical therapist and board-certified women's health specialist. She is leading the pack of the Vagina CEO community, hashtag big vulva energy train, and all things vaginal happiness. Her job is to create a global culture of radical vaginal health education and radical self-love. But I didn't have her on the podcast this time to talk about vaginal health. We will definitely get her back on to talk about all things vagina health. Um, I had her on to talk about her experiences as a person with PCOS who also happens to be a healthcare provider. I think that you'll find it interesting how even being a healthcare provider herself played into her diagnosis and the way that she currently manages her symptoms. Let's dive in. Hello, Dr. Howell. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on to Hormonally Yours to chat about your experiences with PCOS as a fellow healthcare practitioner. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show, and you know, we've been we've been talking for probably more than a year on social media now, but that you know, you're not only a person with PCOS yourself, but you're also a healthcare provider. Um, so tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your background. All right. Hi, Melissa. Hi, everyone. Melissa, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I love your account because I get to incorporate what I learned from you into my personal PCOS journey and incorporate it into my education for my patients. So I am a pelvic health physical therapist or a pelvic physical therapist who really just specializes in the pelvic floor muscle function. And so that includes things like urinary incontinence, you know, I pee my pants when I sneeze, or maybe I'm constantly running to the bathroom and I have this urinary frequency constipation and definitely dealing with things like painful sex and postpartum recovery and that sort of thing. 
So that's what I do, but I also have polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I'm constantly trying to find better ways to um, speak to my hormonal health and try to regulate my my cycle as best as I can. So I stalk your page all the time, <laughs> Melissa, and I am super excited to be here today. Awesome. Tell me a little bit more about, you know, when you were first diagnosed that you had PCOS, maybe what was the first thing that that made you think that that might be what's going on? And also, you know, I imagine with, you know, our, our early reproductive years aligning with, you know, all the, all of our schooling years, our college years, I imagine you were probably, you know, in the midst of your education at that point. How did that all play out for you? So I have an interesting story when it comes to my PCOS diagnosis, because believe it or not, I'm 31 right now. And I wasn't diagnosed until I was 30. So it was an earthquake of just like so many shattering different emotions. I was feeling angry with the medical field for not informing me of what was going on earlier. I've never had regular cycles. So I always had an inkling. I always thought, okay, maybe something's going on with my hormones. This is obviously not right. I can go three, four months without a period. Of course, that's not normal. When all my friends would get their periods like on the dot every month. So like from the time I was 14 or 15, I knew something was off, but I didn't know it was off to the point of having what would be the number one cause of infertility, you know, are the contributing factor to that. So I was just diagnosed last year. To be honest, it didn't necessarily surprise me, but it made me get more serious because I finally had this diagnosis. It wasn't, oh, something is wrong. It was, oh, I know what's going on and I know what I should be focusing more on now. So that's my journey. And that's pretty much why I am passionate about women's health, vaginal health, reproductive health, because many of us go undiagnosed or misdiagnosed for so long. We could have really been working on our health a lot earlier. Yeah, I think, you know, that's a really common scenario where you maybe felt like things weren't right, but you kind of chalked it up to other things you were doing. I've talked to a lot of folks who were, you know, really active throughout college. Maybe they were athletes or, you know, going through a stressful educational program. You know, you just kind of chalk up those missed periods to stress. Um, it's like, oh, that's why I skipped it. But, you know, there's then you kind of get past all that. And it's like, okay, life is kind of normal now. Where's my period? Like, what's going on? Absolutely. And that was exactly my experience. I was heavily involved in basketball and volleyball. And so I did see a, a pattern of whenever my athleticism was, you know, in full swing, then my periods would disappear. But that wasn't really a big concern for me. Um, it became a bigger concern when I would actually get prolonged uh, bleeding. Um, and, and I was bleeding one time for up to two months straight. And in the beginning, I was like, well, my period is so abnormal. I mean, it will just kind of stop on its own. And eventually I ended up going to the doctor and they, they did a, a, um, a pelvic ultrasound. And because they didn't see cysts, I, I guess they, they didn't include them into PCOS. I, I hope we're doing better with that diagnosis now. But all I got was birth control. 
And while I, I was thankful for the birth control because it stopped the bleeding, I mean, you, sometimes you do need that urgent medical help, but I, it would have been more helpful to know, well, what's causing this haywire, you know, experience of my hormones and my menstrual cycle. So I just want to put that out there to anyone who might be listening. I mean, if you're missing your cycle, if you're missing your, your bleeding, then as much as we'd like to say, well, enjoy it. You're not bleeding. <laughs> no, it's actually very healthy to get your period every single month. And if it's not happening, check it out, get to the, to the bottom of what's going on. Yeah. I'd like to add too, as someone who was not diagnosed with PMDD until I was 38, you know, your periods should be pretty much not a big deal. I mean, maybe you're going to feel a little low energy. Maybe you're going to have a little bit of cramping on that first day, but you shouldn't be knocked flat for two weeks out of every month either. So yeah, it's really, you know, and then once you have that diagnosis, that's still kind of just the beginning, right? Because it's like, oh, well now, now things make sense, but now I got to figure out why is this happening and what do I do about it? Exactly. So were your symptoms like mostly related to your cycle or were you struggling with other symptoms at that point? Um, I would say the most disturbing was the prolonged bleeding because then that would make me fairly anemic and then I would get really cold because I was losing so much blood. Um, I've always been a hairy girl. <laughs> and that, I've gotten so used to that, that yes, that's there, the hirsutism, the, the hair above my lip, you know. Uh, the hair on my on my lower belly that's been there since I was little, and I knew I was hairier than the normal girl. But I mean, I've gotten so used to that that it's it's not really um, a big concern for me. The bigger concern is definitely thinking: Am I going to have difficulty having a baby in the future? And why can't my periods just come like everybody else? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say that's probably typically where most people find me, unless. They're actually later down the road where it's like, okay, now I, I am very seriously thinking about starting a family and I'm not sure how to make this happen because if you're not ovulating regularly, that lowers your chances for getting pregnant and you're, you know, not really sure when to properly time intercourse in order to get pregnant. You don't even know if you are ovulating, if you're not tracking your cycles. And so... Yeah, it can be a, a confusing time. Um, I prefer when people find me in the, oh, you know, I know I want a family someday, but I'm not actively trying right now because then we have more time to identify the issues and get working on them to get them in a good place when they are ready so that they have more more control over it. Yeah. And and that's where I am now. So I'm glad I found you now. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad too. So what are some of the changes that you've made? I think, you know, one of the reasons why I love working with fellow healthcare practitioners is because you do have this really good understanding of health and science and what it takes to be healthy. I think where it kind of goes offline a little bit is the things that are quote unquote healthy aren't necessarily the right things to be doing for your PCOS. 
And so it's always kind of a surprise when I'm working with healthcare practitioners because they're like, what do you mean I'm not supposed to do X, Y, and Z? Or what do you mean this works better instead? Um, what were some of those like surprises for you? Hmm. I think the surprises were putting together things that I just thought were random cravings and, oh, I just love sugar because I just like sugar. And learning that, oh, actually, this could be a symptom of insulin resistance. And, you know, if sugar is not getting into your cells, then you're going to be craving it more. Um, and, and also just the connection between my excessive hair growth and how <laughs> my, my sugar content could have been feeding, like, are making that worse. You know, I know that if I just completely give up sugar, it's not going to completely get rid of all my excess hair. But there's definitely a connection between my diet and my cravings and my period. So I think like for me, one, one of the things I learned from your, um, your free class online was never to eat carbs alone. Don't eat lonely carbs. That was one of the biggest like aha moments for me because I do like carbs. <laughs> I do. I love them. I, I love cinnamon rolls. <laughs> And so when I learned that, okay, I can't eat a croissant by itself, like that's just going to spike my blood sugar. I started to see changes. I mean, with my cycle, just from trying to add more protein to my meals and trying not to go excessive with my carb intake, um, that was a big game changer for me. And then also coming to grips with the fact that supplements alone are likely not going to give me everything that, that I want when it comes to my PCOS journey. I think in the beginning when I started like learning about helpful supplements, they made a really big change. But then I think I thought that I could just take the supplements and then live however I wanted to live or eat however I wanted to eat or go to bed at whatever time I wanted to go to bed. And I'm learning that it's really those lifestyle changes, the sleep, the stress management, the diet that has probably the biggest impact on my health. And so um, those are some of the, the biggest lessons that I've been learning that are a little bit against the grain. Yeah, I think, um, you know, and it's it's not just people with PCOS who struggle with eating carbs by themselves. I think you know, it's probably typical of most women and most people to, you know, I remember the days in my twenties working in New York where I would grab a plain, literally a plain bagel on my way to the office. And like, that was breakfast. And then, you know, around 10 AM I'd be hungry and I would eat a banana and, you know, and then by like 3 PM, it was like, I was raiding the vending machine. Cause I was like, I need to eat like all the things. Um, so it's that, <laughs> that blood sugar roller coaster, but it is like super intensified when you have PCOS because you are dealing with that insulin resistance, you know, on top of riding the blood sugar roller coaster. Right. And I love what you said about the supplements too. I talk a lot about supplements, you know, it's, it says it right in the name, supplements supplement a healthy diet and lifestyle. They do not make up for an unhealthy diet or lifestyle. And, you know, I hear a lot of times from people who are like, oh, I'm doing all of the things and I'm still struggling with fatigue and cravings and weight gain. And I'm like, well, what things are you doing? And they, you know, list off a laundry list of supplements. And I'm like, well, how's your sleep? 
How's your stress? How much exercise are you getting? What type of exercise are you getting? Um, And that's where it's like, oh, maybe you're not doing all the things. Um, Let's talk about exercise because I love that that's you know, sort of an integral part of your social media account. You're very often sharing your workouts and you're sharing, you know, public health related workouts as well. Um, I think one of the things that you've talked about a lot is how much of a difference strength training has made for you. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting topic because my dad, he's actually a personal trainer. And he's always, I mean, since I was like maybe 13, 14, been telling me, Janelle, you should strength train more. You should work out more. And I was always, because I've already have had this hairier, bulkier, I've I've always had this high testosterone probably (laughs) forever. And so I was scared that if I work out, I was going to just start looking more like a man, you know? And so I would avoid it. And I remember one time going home for my physical therapy internship for three months. And this was like the only time that I was super consistent with working out with my dad for those three months straight. And I can honestly say, aside from the first three months that I found your information, those are the only three months in my whole life where my period came every single month at the exact same time without birth control, without any medication. And I really saw that movement is medicine that is just as much medicine as popping a pill and going to the doctor that our bodies are literally made to move and so i like to talk about that a lot on my page of course because i'm a physical therapist but also because that's what the uterus and the vagina needs it needs to contract and relax and really bringing in that that um that excess sugar that's just hanging out in the blood. Um, our muscles can really help with that insulin resistance. So I personally don't necessarily exercise every single day, but sometimes even instead of driving somewhere, I'll walk. I mean, a brisk walk will make a big difference when it comes to um, your exercise and just your overall activity for the day. And that's something that I can really depend on. I think that even if you don't lose weight immediately, or even if you don't, you know, reverse your most uh, frustrating symptoms, you're going to feel something positive from exercise. And I think that's something that all of us can agree on that whether it's better confidence or better energy, or you're sleeping better at night, exercise will always bring you benefits. Yeah, I I kind of, you know, I wasn't an athlete. Um, I was actually a dancer through high school and college. And so I was always active. And I just, you know, beyond college, I kept that level of activity, you know, going to the gym four or five times a week, doing spinning classes and yoga classes. I took up running. I ran a marathon in 2008. But going back to school this time to become a dietitian, it was probably you know, the most sedentary I have been in my life. Cause you're just like, you know, nose down, head in a book, studying and, you know, memorizing and trying to understand the Krebs cycle for the, you know, 15th time, um, until it finally clicks, you know, I definitely felt that. And, you know, then going straight from that to starting my business again, it was very like time intensive. And so it's really only in the last, you know, year, and actually kind of because of the pandemic that 
I've been exercising regularly again. And by regularly, I mean like, you know, four or five times a week again and not just once, you know, once in a while here or there when my husband wants to go to the gym. And I have to say, I'm like a hundred percent in it for the mood boost. It's like, if I take the time to exercise, I have so much more energy and I'm in such a better mood in the afternoons than if I didn't. Yeah. And I, and I think that we have to consider that our body is one. We, we like to compartmentalize our health. Like, oh, reproductive health is over there far away into the corner down the hallway. And, you know, our skin health is, is over here in the living room. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's all one body. And that's including your mood. And even the term mental health, I think it's important for us to say your mental health is physical health. Like, it, <laughs> you need your mind to be physical and to be social. And so it's very physical. And I mean, even noticing the mood changes with like the hormones has been um, very eye-opening for me as well. Like when I feel like my moods, are, my, my emotions are a little bit out of my control, it's usually when my hormones are out of balance. Like when, my, when I'm not, I haven't been eating right and I haven't been thinking about like my insulin levels and, and things like that. So it's really great to see the marriage of everything coming together to really give you that health that you're looking for. Yeah. Holistic health, integrative health takes into account every part of you. I was just thinking how, you know, if you remember back to the days I was, I'm a little older than you. So I grew up with my mom doing Jane Fonda in the living room, you know, and it was all like aerobics all the time. And that was, you know, people were scared to become bulky or bulked up. You know, I do think that's one of the pros of PCOS is having higher testosterone levels means that you will put on muscle a lot easier than other people. But I think, you know, we're finally at a place where we're understanding that even if you're an athlete in a very specific area like running or basketball, it's like strength training only enhances that, you know, like my, my husband is a basketball coach and he's got the guys in the gym three days a week, lifting weights, you know, and, and if they don't show up, then they're not going to play, play well, you know? Right. So how are you doing now with everything? Um, right now I would say I definitely feel way more empowered to what's contributing to my symptoms. That knowledge, though, hasn't really fixed my my cravings, <laughs> my cravings. And also just sometimes I feel like we rebel a little bit. You know, it's like I'm tired. I'm stressed. I, I'm going to get this ice cream. You know what I'm saying? Even though you know that maybe you shouldn't have that many scoops. <laughs> maybe you shouldn't have that right now. So I would say um, I'm to the place where I am feeling empowered about knowing Number one, that movement is medicine, that my diet and getting like more fiber and more colorful veggies. That's one of the things I love about you is that you don't just focus on like, oh, eat more veggies. You talk about it in terms of like color. Who doesn't want to live in a colorful world, you know? So I, I have to keep that in mind. I feel I've definitely noticed for my cycles when I get more roughage in my diet, then my cycle is shorter. And I can see a direct relationship between how much vegetables, green, red, orange I'm eating, and then how long do I have to wait for this period to actually show up? <laughs> so I am putting the dots together. I'm still struggling though right now. I would say 
I'm going through a period of where the heck is my period? Where, where I'm waiting for the blood. <laughs> but at the same time, I feel way more empowered now than I ever have in terms of knowing what I can do about my condition as opposed to feeling defeated about it. Yeah, I love that. I think, you know, understanding why absolutely can sort of help. Um, I'm actually wondering if you ever took that quiz um, called the four tendencies. Have you ever done that? I don't think I have. Yeah, I've look, taken the one about like your type of PCOS. No, this one is about your personality and what motivates you. And I actually like, there are actually like healthcare practitioners who gear their coaching based on what type you are. There's basically four types of people. And it just sort of describes whether you're externally motivated, internally motivated, both or neither. One guess, which, which type I am, I am motivated by neither. I am the rebel. And so if someone tells me what to do, I'm like, you're not the boss of me. If I tell myself you need to do X, Y, and Z, again, I'm going to be like, you're not the boss of me. (laughs) It's just like, you know, so I kind of have to like trick myself. Um, The rebels are like the hardest to work with because you have to trick yourself. And for me, like what matters most, like what's going to keep me from eating a pint of ice cream for dinner is like those long-term goals. You know, I've got to keep my eyes on the prize and know, okay, you don't want to do this in the moment, but like, you know, you want to be there eventually. So you have to stick with it. Yeah. It's interesting. Highly recommend taking it for some some insight into what motivates you. Because if I have a client who needs that external accountability, then I'm going to know they're going to need more frequent check-ins with me because my approval, not that I'm approving or judging what they're eating, but um, they need that external validation as encouragement to keep going, which is kind of interesting. And Send it to me. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. called the four tendencies quiz and it's online for free. Oh, okay. And I thought it was funny while you were talking about how you associate me with all the colorful fruits and veggies as I'm sitting here in like my black sweatshirt and you know cuz I <laughs> wear like all black and I was thinking it's really funny that my closet is all black but my refrigerator is a freaking rainbow in there it's like <laughs> party town in my refrigerator. So I save my colors for my plate for sure. (laughs) That's okay. Hey, that's, that's what matters. I love that. Yeah. What are, what are some of your go-to meals that you've been making? I'm a big fan of salmon now. Um, just cause it's hard. It can be difficult to get enough protein and in a meal. And I definitely found that I was probably super under for my protein intake, which is huge for balancing your blood sugar and preventing your ovaries from doing funky stuff and keeping your period regulated. So um, salmon is a big go-to for me. And I like to combine that with either asparagus, Brussels sprouts, or broccoli, and then sweet potatoes. I mean, I definitely love my sweet potatoes because it gives me that sweet fix, but it still has that fiber and the color and um, the nutrients that I need. So that's one of my quick meals because it doesn't take that that long to make that. And then um, in the mornings, I found that doing like a protein smoothie 
and putting fruits and berries. I'm big on the berries now, which I do believe help quite a bit. Adding either some flaxseed or chia seeds to my smoothie really helps with my gut. And I know that's a big thing when it comes to PCOS, especially if there's higher inflammation levels and things. Um, and Greek yogurt. I mean, I love Greek. It's packed with so much protein. And as long as you don't get it already sweetened, you can hook it up yourself with some fruit, some nut butter, some some seeds, berries, and really have either a nice snack or a nice side piece for like breakfast or something. So these are some of my um, my go-to meals and snacks that I think are blood sugar happy and don't send you on that, that crash. Because man, I tell you, my body knows if I get way too many carbs an hour later, I'm done. <laughs> I'm knocked out and it's not good. <laughs> yeah, same. I just did a post the other day about how I feel after I eat pancakes for breakfast. It's like, don't even talk to me. I'm like a sweaty, shaky mess. <laughs> I just want to go to bed. Couple, yeah, I you know, I love that Greek yogurt combo for breakfast. And, you know, you can even add a little sweetener to that if it's too tart for you and it's still going to be less sugar than what you would get in the grocery store already sweetened. It's just, you know, you're taking the control over the sweetness yourself. And I love how how you're talking about, you know, in your stories, when you're showing your Greek yogurt breakfast, you know, you, you're using frozen berries, which is totally fine. You know, they're just as nutritious, if not fresher than fresh picked berries. And, you know, especially out of season as we're going into winter, frozen berries are the way to go. Yeah. I mean, and I love it because it's sweet enough, but it's not so sweet that you're like, oh my gosh, I need to like grab a million uh, protein bars to balance this out. <laughs> so it's funny that you talked about sweetening things up because, it, you know, sometimes I put honey on, on top and I, it's like, I can hear your voice and I'm like, would Melissa be proud of my sweetener? <laughs> I don't know if this is good enough because I'm sure honey is, you know, it's still sugar, you know? The thing is, I have to keep reminding myself, like, it's not about completely eliminating anything, but keeping it at a certain amount and making sure that's not the only thing that you're eating. So it's a, it's a balance between like not going too crazy and like having dessert three times a day, but then also knowing it's okay to have something sweet every now and then. Yeah, I I really see when I see people who are trying to eat too, quote unquote, clean, you know, they're trying to be perfect every meal and not have any sugar and not have any fun. <laughs> and when I see that, um, you know, especially when we're doing food tracking with my clients and I'm seeing the photographs of their food and I'm like, where's the fun? Like, there's no fun on a, you know, steamed chicken breast, steamed broccoli and plain sweet potato plate. Like, yeah. Add some peanut sauce to that, add some butter, add some rich yeah. dressing, like whatever you need to do to, to jazz it up because, right. you know, you're only going to eat and stay with a way of eating that is like something that you enjoy. I mean, cause food is delicious, you know? Um, so I'm often encouraging people. It's like you, you do have a little bit of wiggle room there when it comes to sugar and, um, you know, adding that little bit of honey to, to your yogurt and getting that sweet taste in, especially like 
when your period's about to come and you're craving more sweet things, that's what's going to prevent you from eating like a pound of chocolate or like an entire Enemins coffee cake, you know, those things that we, we tend to do. I feel like you're looking into my life yesterday. <laughs> I'm like, did she see me yesterday? Oh my gosh. But yeah, this is, this is so huge. And I love what you said about when you're cooking, your food needs to be enjoyable mm -hmm. because I've definitely found myself to the place where I'm meal prepping and I'm cooking my meals and I'm so focused on making it hormone happy and healthy and clean that while I'm eating it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like so healthy. Like <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't make me want to eat it again. And so it's not sustainable. And so I love what you said. If you need to add a little ranch, it's okay. <laughs> if you need to add a little soy sauce, it's okay. Um, so I'm going to take that to the bank. I'm going to keep that in mind um, when I'm making my meals. Absolutely. If I, if I'm eating, you know, in the summer, I'm not so much now because it's getting cold, but in the summer I'll make like a giant salad and just, you know, eat that for lunch. And I get to the end of this giant salad and I'm full, like I'm, I'm fully full, but I'm still like, where's the sweetness? Where's yeah. the fun? And so like, that's why I always keep the dark chocolate peanut butter cups. Um, the Trader Joe's ones, they come in a big tub and I stick it in my freezer. So I'm not seeing them every day, but it's like, I know if I just need that little bite of something sweet, that's going to, you know, kind of top it off. Or if I'm making a meal for dinner and it's, you know, we're both eating it like, oh, this is good, but it tastes healthy. <laughs> you know, You're right. Tastes healthy. Those are, I swear, those are the nights my husband is like, Hey, do we have any ice cream? Um, do we have any dessert? Mm -hmm. Yeah, know? absolutely. Sometimes I'm eating something and it's so like roughage. I remember mm -hmm. one day I made, um, this Brussels sprout salad and don't get me wrong. It was good, but it was like so much fiber and so much nutrients all at once. That was just like, <laughs> Okay, I need to have some chips. <laughs> I, need, I need to have something. But funny enough, I did see my period show up days after that. And I don't know if it was just those three days of me eating really healthy. I, I can definitely see the connection between menstrual health, but we I have to find and everyone listening that balance because your food should be enjoyable. I mean, there's definitely endorphins that get released when we're eating and everything like that. So we can't forget about that other purpose of food. And that is fun, like you like you just said. And so we shouldn't be depriving ourselves in the name of, of health. I think health can be fun and enjoyable. Absolutely. I think people are surprised when they learn that dietitians are also foodies. You know, like we love food. That's part yeah. of what got us into this field. Sometimes you need a little smoothage to go with all that roughage, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Melissa. But there is, you know, there is a connection. You keep mentioning how there's a connection between what you're eating and how your cycle goes. And that really is across the board, you know, whether you have PCOS or not. Typically, what I see in my practice is January is always like a period from hell for most people because think about like all of the stress oh. of the holidays and all the stuff that you're eating that you're not typically eating. And like, 
you know, even last, not this past January, because we didn't do anything for the holidays this year, but last year, um, you know, I'm getting that like breakout on my chin before my period. And I'm like, where's this coming from? Like, this hasn't happened in years. And it's like, Hey, remember how you ate something with sugar every day from like November 22nd, all the way up through January 7th, maybe that has something to do with it. Um, and also people are, you know, staying up late, they're drinking more alcohol, maybe they're having more sugar. It's just like your whole system's out of whack. So January tends to be like the most symptomatic mm. cycle for most women. So what you're saying is, what you're saying is don't lose your rocker November and December if you want January to be a good month. <laughs> Yeah. And don't be surprised in January if you're like, where's the Advil? Where's the heating pad? (laughs) Hey there. So before we get back to the rest of the episode, I just wanted to pop in real quick and tell you about a new workshop I've put together called PCOS Meal Prep Made Easy. If you're like most folks I hear from, you're confused and overwhelmed by all the conflicting info out there about what to actually eat with PCOS. And you may feel like you don't even know where to start. In this hour-long workshop, I break down what foods you want to include for PCOS and what you might want to consider avoiding or minimizing. And I share my simple three-step formula for planning meals with PCOS. The best part is it does not involve spending hours in the kitchen. Yes, you can absolutely incorporate this formula while cooking at home, but what's really great is that you can apply it no matter where you are, in a restaurant, getting takeout, at a family meal, or even while traveling. Head over to thehormonedietitian.com forward slash easy PCOS, all one word, to sign up now. Signing up is your first step to finally understanding how to eat to manage PCOS. All right, cool. I'll see you there. Let's get back to the episode. So do you do any sort of advocacy work with PCOS? I mean, I know you you talk very openly about having PCOS on your account. You know, I, I think it can be it can be interesting when you are a professional health account because, you know, not, you know, it depends on on your personality and your brand, but not everybody feels comfortable sharing um, their personal details. But I think I think with your account, you kind of tell all in all the areas. So is that sort of how you came to being open on your account about everything? No, I actually felt a sense of rage when it came to not just polycystic ovarian syndrome, things like endometriosis and fibroids. These are symptoms that the symptoms that come along with them, really, really heavy bleeding or, you know, painful sex or, you know, feeling pain with bowel movements. And again, the missing period or, you know, you can't even get out of bed. You have to take off from work or school just for your period. These things should be red flags when we go to the doctor, but yet so many patients come through my doors, not for that, for something else with their vagina, (laughs) but they end up telling me about it. And I'm just like, in my mind, you need testing, you need imaging. 
something and it's it's it made me angry and it moved me towards just speaking out about this because i know if i didn't get diagnosed until i was 30 about something i was experiencing for the past 17 years then there's millions and millions of other people just living with these symptoms even though they're going to the doctor it wasn't as if i was not going to my doctor i was and yet i went away empty-handed and so that's where i am now when it comes to speaking out about things that people would typically feel as personal this could be someone's life i mean i'm i'm talking to someone now in my life who she had really long periods her her whole life and she was given things like pain pills and birth control and late in her life in her 40s she discovered she had fibroids then she got diagnosed with endometrial cancer and so it can literally get to that place and i don't mean to be so morbid but it is so serious and i'm excited that the polycystic ovarian syndrome awareness association they reached out to me to speak in February. So I am gonna be starting some advocacy work with them. Um, they're hosting a virtual event in February. Um, so I'm excited about that. But right now I'm just running my mouth on social media, letting people know that you have to advocate for yourself. Yeah, I'm actually doing an event with them in November. Um, so by the time this airs, it will have already happened. Um, it's happening November 16th. I believe the recordings will be available on their website. Um, it's the PCOS Awareness Association. Um, yes. So check them out. They're doing lots of work. And I know reaching out to lots of experts in the field. Um, I think it's funny how, you know, sort of your motivation for talking about all of this is very similar to why I chose this as, you know, my mission, um, in my, in my business. Um, it, it comes from a place of rage, you know, I mean, it's, it would be hard not to feel rage knowing the struggles that most women go through to even get a proper diagnosis. And, you know, just it's, it's even worse in women of color. Um, you know, I see much longer time to diagnosis, much more misdiagnosis, much more under diagnosis. It's like you get, you know, maybe you do get that PCOS label, but they kind of stop there. And it's like, well, maybe you also have PCOS and fibroids or PCOS yeah. and endometriosis. And if you're still dealing with symptoms after the PCOS diagnosis and doing the work on the PCOS, then it's like, we got to do some deeper digging. Like we got to figure out what's really going on here. You know, it, yeah, it's just, it's really enraging how broken our healthcare system is. And I love what you said about that is that Many times when we don't have the answers, like a medical answer or a health condition answer, it doesn't need to be medicine, just someone in the healthcare field to help you understand your body. If we don't have that understanding, typically it leads to blame and dealing with shame about things that are really much out of your control. And that can lead to anxiety, depression, even disrupting relationships. And um, it's it's unfortunate because I think growing up, you you think that, okay, you're going to get your period every single month, you're going to get pregnant by 25, and you're going to have a body that looks like so-and-so. And not knowing that there could be something going on with your, with your body that's contributing to why these things are not as ideal as you would like them to be. And so 
we have so much work to do when it comes to research and advocacy, but I'm thankful for the conversations and the platforms that we have now. And for all the people listening, um, because this, this work matters too, just as much as research and government changes and all of those things. Yeah, I feel very strongly. It's like, okay, people are talking about this. Let's keep talking. Like we are not going back to where we were before, you know, like we got to keep talking and keep pushing um, so that more women feel empowered around their health and don't feel, you know, to blame for their own symptoms or conditions, which is you know, 99.999% of the time, it's not your fault, you know? Yeah. And and I love that you give options because I think it, unless you're dealing with someone who focuses more on um, functional health and like holistic health, that they can just feel like, oh, it's either birth control or nothing, or it's metformin or nothing. And you can feel very isolated and stuck when you have strong feelings about, no, I, I don't want to go back on birth control. But then the people that are considered the professionals and the experts in the field are telling you to do this. It can leave you feeling very isolated and stuck. And so um, I'm thankful for people like fitness trainers and dietitians and even psychologists and counselors who can help you focus on the other areas of your life that can help you get your hormones happier again. Um, and so I am eternally grateful uh, for people like you and even these research organizations that are getting more information out there to help us know that, it, no, it's not just medicine. There's other things that you can do as well. Yeah. I mean, obviously I also come from a place of having gone down multiple years of not being diagnosed, not receiving the proper diagnosis. I remember, you know, I was like 25 and I was just tired all the time. I was cold and going into my, my primary care and telling her this. And she's like, Oh, you just went through a breakup. So maybe do you want an antidepressant? Do you want to try that and see if that helps. And I'm like, I'm telling you, I'm cold and tired, not depressed. Like I'm freaking happy. He's gone. <laughs> like, right. I'm like, I'm like, woohoo, I'm free. You know, I'm, I'm just tired. You know? <laughs> oh, it's like, you know, the options they give you are so limited yeah. to medication when, you know, again, that makes me angry because it says right in the international expert guidelines for PCOS that nutrition and lifestyle and supplements can play important roles in PCOS management. Yeah. And, and when it comes to um, the supplements, I, I have to say if, if there is two, I don't know if you want me to do this, Melissa, sure. but if there is two that I feel like have been helpful for me, disclaimer, everyone is different. And so one supplement can literally do nothing for you. But for me, it would have to be the, is it the inositol? yeah. Inositol, and I believe turmeric. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know what turmeric is doing with my ovaries, <laughs> but it, it, those two things, I believe, were monumental and likely vitamin D as yeah. well. Um, yeah, those are, those are my go-tos too. If I had to add a fourth, um, I don't use turmeric in everybody. I, I really only recommend that if inflammation is, you know, a a major part of what they're going through. But I would say, you know, fish oil is probably the next Mm -hmm. one. Vitamin D, fish oil, and inositol are kind of 
you know, those are going to be your besties if you've got PCOS for most people. Okay. Sure. Okay. And it's definitely yeah. helpful to stay consistent. Please don't miss any weeks. <laughs> you stay consistent. You know, they only work if you take them. <laughs> yeah. I always find with supplements, the really funny thing is like, you may not necessarily feel any different when you're taking them, but if you forget to refill them and you go a week without them, you will definitely notice that oh week <laughs> how you feel different. I've definitely seen a difference with my my face and my skin with being more consistent with the inositol. Yeah, that one's a great one. And it's, you know, pretty gentle. There are some some people who can't take that, um, but it's really uh, bipolar with mania, with episodes of mania. You can't use inositol, mm. but pretty much everyone else it's, yeah. it's a-okay for. Um, and it's gentle and, you know, definitely less side effects than the metformin. <laughs> right, right. So again, there's that option that you don't have to feel stuck to one thing. Yeah, absolutely. So you're talking before a little bit about relationships. How does the conversation come up for you when you're, because you're not married, you're a single lady about town. So tell me like how that comes up when you're in a relationship with someone. Is it like first date conversation or is it like further down the road? (laughs) It's definitely not first date, but the the other thing is I just got diagnosed last year. So most of my prior like dating experiences and our relationships, I had nothing to tell them because I just thought, oh, it'll be a little bit harder for me to get pregnant. I kind of always knew I wouldn't just pop up pregnant, but I didn't think I had anything that would prevent me from getting pregnant or anything like that. Um, when it comes to my facial hair, because I do have a little bit of hair on, on this top lip, I would just try and make sure that they don't see that for as long as possible. Um, but I have a boyfriend now and he's really supportive. You know, if there's something that I want to eat where I'm just having a rebellious face, he's like, babe, your PCOS. <laughs> That's all he says. <laughs> he's like, your PCOS. When it comes when it comes to the hair, you know, the hair on my chin, he's just like, he's like, babe, it's okay. I, I know you're hairy. It's, if you have a beard, it's fine. I, I still love you. <laughs> so um, it's been, I will send him different things like articles and things so he can actually understand the pathophysiology of it and how diet and exercise and everything relates. And even memory. I mean, I don't know if this is common, but I've definitely seen memory changes. Like I can, I'm very forgetful. And I think that that has something to do with either the insulin resistance or the high androgens. I'm not sure. That's one thing that he can get a little bit annoyed with, but I just have to say, babe, I forgot it's the PCOS. (laughs) So I'm thankful that the relationship that I'm in right now, and even with my family, like my parents, um, they're helpful as well. And I have to continually remind them that it's a journey though. I mean, even if it looks like I'm doing well, I'm still working on this thing. It's not something that goes away or reaches perfection. It's always a progress. So I was on a first date one time in New York City. I was at a fancy wine bar in Chelsea. First date with a guy that I met online and he at the table of the wine bar whips out this little like suitcase and unzips it and pricks his finger and tests his blood sugar like at the table on a first date. And I was like, man, that is ballsy. Like to just like weed out the people who are going to freak out about that. 
like on a first day. Cause like, you know, if you're, if you have diabetes and that's something that you do on a daily basis, that's something that your partner is just going to have to deal with and get used to. But um, I was like, wow, what a, that was a power move. I think. Yeah, that was very powerful. <laughs> that was very ballsy. I'm like, whoa. But I, I do I do think it's important to talk about if you don't have your partner support and partner doesn't just mean romantic partner, whether it's your friend as a partner, your business partner, your family partner, um, then you're going to not have as much of that energy because you will need that external support to push you when either you get discouraged or you feel like you're losing some of that momentum. Yeah, absolutely. We did not have a second date, not because he pricked his finger at the table. He was just really dull, just so dull. Um, (laughs) But it wasn't because of the finger stick. But yeah, having, having a supportive partner is really so key to anything. I mean, in life and health and business and, you know, anything. Definitely glad to have found that later, later in life. But I, I do have that now, which is amazing. Does anyone else in your family have PCOS or, or anyone have, you know, insulin issues or any infertility in your family you can think of? So that's a really great question. Um, my mom has not been diagnosed with PCOS. However, when she was younger and she got married to my dad, the doctor told her that she could not have kids. I'm not exactly sure what the reason was, but they said that you're not going to be able to have kids. And my dad was actually a missionary at the time. And so he was like, great, we're traveling the world. No problem. No kids. And of course, they got pregnant. You know, she got pregnant with me, but she has a lot of the symptoms that um, I have. Like she has some hirsutism. She um, had a surgery when I was younger to remove cysts from her ovaries. She said she could go for months without her period when she was younger. So um, she's not diagnosed and I mean, she's, she's older now and stuff. So there's that, but then diabetes runs in my family pretty heavily on my dad's side. Um, I also have a family member who struggled with carrying a baby to term, not necessarily getting pregnant, but carrying it to term. And then that family member turned out to be diabetic as well. So it, it's definitely some things in the genetic pool but I am trying to stay encouraged that I will, I will do okay. And as of right now, I don't have diabetes. So I I definitely think there's something in my, in my family tree with that. Yeah. I always tend to think that too, going back and looking at family trees and like, you know, things weren't as widely diagnosed back then. I mean, the PCOS was, you know, originally sort of described in 1935, you know, back when it was Stein-Leventhal syndrome, but I I still don't think it was like common practice to, you know, we definitely didn't know how many women are affected by it. And also people didn't talk about this stuff back then either. Right. Right. And And I, I think that's funny about your, your mom's like, you know, it's so typical to have those conversations with your mom where it's like, or there was something wrong. We don't know what, um, you know. Yeah. And I mean, here I am now at 31 and, you know, I'm in the whole PCOS world and I'm telling my mom, I mean, she's not trying to have kids. She's, you know, the, 
it's different. And I'm just like, mom, can you please go have them check your testosterone levels? <laughs> and she's just like, okay. <laughs> but um, it's it's interesting seeing how medicine has grown and how the, the diagnostic tools are different. But you can just look back and say, yeah, there's something funky going on there. Um, and so we can't ignore that factor when it comes to um, PCOS. It's just like, what is what are your what are your genes telling your body to do? Yes, definitely. You know, there seems to be a pattern when it comes to family diagnoses. Um, you know, particularly like brothers of women with PCOS um, have a higher incidence of diabetes. Mm. Yes, there's some, you know, I think it's one of those things where there's like, we don't really fully understand what causes PCOS, but we know there's some genetic component there, you know? So is it okay for me to ask you a question? Yeah, go for it. So, you know, in the world of PCOS and any hormone um, dysfunction, infertility, whatever, supplements are a thing. So I have my question. What do you think about taking Vitex for polycystic ovarian syndrome? I feel like it's a little bit controversial. And before I knew about my diagnosis, I just did like Google searches and I found Vitex when I was like in my mid twenties. And I remember taking it for a few months and it helped me regulate my cycle like every single month. Um, I'm not taking that right now just because I feel like the literature is controversial on that, but I want your take because you're the period fairy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a little bit of a complicated topic. Um, Vitex or chaste berry is an herb. Um, it's very powerful. It works. What's interesting about the way that Vitex works is it doesn't necessarily work directly on any hormones. What it does is, you know, your brain is communicating with your with your ovaries. You know, your brain is um, your pituitary gland in particular is, is communicating with your thyroid, and your adrenals, and your ovaries. And so there's this pathway of communication. And sometimes, for whatever reason that communication pathway gets a little janky, you know, like sometimes it can happen if you go on the pill and that shuts it down. So then when you come off the pill, it's like, you know, that highway hasn't been used in a while. It's a little overgrown with weeds and stuff. Yeah. So it helps reestablish that communication between your brain and your ovaries, which is, okay. you know, an interesting way to approach things. Um, I do use Vitex in practice. Um, I use it to sort of specific scenarios. In PCOS, I use it short-term to jumpstart an ovulation. Mm. So I'll keep, you know, if it's been, so let's say you're doing all the things, you're like eating your balanced meals and you're taking your inositol and it's been three months of consistently implementing those changes and you're still not ovulating. Okay. That's when I'll pull in the big guns. That's when I'm like, let's try a little Vitex jumpstart and see okay. if that works. And what I do, the way I use it is I escalate the dose until we get an ovulation. And if you don't get 
you know, if you reach sort of my maximum threshold of comfort, a recommendation, um, and it doesn't happen, then it's like, okay, you need to go to your doctor because there's something else happening. Like that's where we need to like, make sure there's not like a pituitary tumor or hyperlactin or something going on that's blocking ovulation. Cause usually what happens is like, you know, I have them start on like one dose and then we, we go up to like the second tier of dosing after a couple of weeks. And usually that is enough. And they like confirm ovulation immediately after that. Some, for some people who are more stubborn, more resistant, usually my lean PCOS ladies don't respond as well to the Vitex stimulation, but, um, I'll go up to a third rung before I'm like, well, that's all I've got. Like, okay. So you, you don't see it as like a contraindication because I've seen things online that say you shouldn't take that because it'll make your LH, LH higher. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does. You know, there's, there's some research that does show that the, the research there is very muddy. Um, and it's, it doesn't necessarily raise LH in PCOS because PCOS LH is already high for most people. So it doesn't like raise it anymore. I feel comfortable using it in that short-term jumpstart scenario for PCOS. I also use it for folks, let's say like me, of like a certain age where, you know, you're still ovulating regularly, but your egg quality has declined and it's not your... um, corpus luteum isn't able to make enough progesterone to sustain a 14 day luteal phase. Um, so I'll use, uh, Vitex in the second half of the cycle to support progesterone in people like that, but that's really the only place that I use it. And I, it's also like one of the reasons why I don't recommend those like hormone, you know, quote unquote, like hormone balancing supplements that are on the market. Cause they almost all have Vitex. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you look closely at the herbs that they contain, they're either geared towards like PMS and lowering PMS symptoms, or they're geared more towards like perimenopause, menopause symptoms mm-hmm. and symptoms of low estrogens. And so, and they, they almost all contain Vitex, but in doses far lower than what I would use in PCOS. So it's kind of my, my take on Vitex. I use it in very specific circumstances. Okay. Well, thank you for answering the question. Cause I was just like, it worked for me. Why can't I use it? <laughs> so, but no, but thank you for answering. Um, yeah. But if it worked for you, you know, one try again and see if it works again. But like, I always tell people like, once you've got that ovulation or you've gotten that period, then like, stop you know, stop taking it. Just, you know, it, you know, did its purpose. It worked. It did what it was supposed to do. All right. I don't want to keep you too long. Um, if you do not follow vagina rehab doctor on Instagram, uh, you really must go do that. Like right now, like seriously, (laughs) pick up your phone, go find her on Instagram click that little follow button right now. Her posts are so educational, but not in a like 
dry and boring educational way. They're very, I'm always laughing reading her posts. Um, she's so creative and so smart and so funny. And I just, you know, it's been a joy, like learning from her over the last year of following her as well. I personally feel called out on the regular by, oh, by your yeah. posts. Like, why, why are you coming Don't at me? That, <laughs> um, and I told you earlier, my husband is always like, what are you laughing at? I'm like, I'm laughing at Dr. Vagina. <laughs> <laughs> so hilarious. I wonder what the husbands think about me these days and the boyfriends. They're just like, oh gosh, the vagina rehab doctor. <laughs> Well, I love that you've been very inclusive and having testosterone Tuesdays now as well so that the men don't feel left out of the discussion. Um, I personally think we had this conversation and I think it was a missed opportunity and you should have called it Testicle Tuesday. Um, <laughs> I love you, Melissa. I, I think I'm, I'm going to have to incorporate that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm waiting for the testicle Tuesday post because it's more like, you know, it's not like it's estrogen every day and testosterone on Tuesday. It's vaginas right. every day and test you know, it's just a little yeah. bit more like aligned body yeah. part. Vaginas and vulvas all day. And I also think also think you should know that does it feel weird that people like think of you when they're not soaping their vulvas or not using <laughs> every time I'm like every time I'm reaching for my like natural gentle soap I'm like oh Janelle would be so proud <laughs> <laughs> yes I hope I hope millions of women are thinking of me when they wash their vulva with water <laughs> oh my gosh I love how the conversation has just transitioned to vaginas <laughs> Oh yeah, there are people who have said to me they want the unedited um, recording of this, of this episode. Okay, give it to them, girl. Give it to uh, them. some of our mutual fans. Um, so, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so glad um, you were able to to come. Tell the people where um, they can find you and a little more about the kind of things you offer. Um, in particular, I love that you do those sort of short workshops pretty frequently. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Melissa. So right now I have a website, uh, vaginarehabdoctor.com. And on there, you can learn more about me, kind of my background, and also information about my blog, um, where you can read more about vaginal health. And then once a month, the first Sunday of each month, um, we're hosting the Vagina Stretch Lab, which is um, an event for just 30 minutes where I teach you how to stretch your vaginal muscles and relax those muscles. Um, because a lot of us don't realize that we're holding a lot of tension in our pelvis. And that's the brain telling our muscles to shut it down, you know, no sex, right? Even if you're having sex, if you're really stressed, your muscles are probably really tense and tight. And that can lead to a lot of issues that you don't want, like peeing your pants, constipation, frequent urination all of the things that no one is typically proud of. Um, and so I do that on the first Sunday of every month. And then um, a little bit less frequently, I do more of a lecture evidence-based course um, regarding something in relationship to vaginal health. So you can keep up with me on Instagram, um, Vagina Rehab Doctor, or you can check out my website, vaginarehabdoctor.com to say that's definitely one thing that I've learned from you because I think there's this 
sort of sense of pride um, <laughs> in keeping it tight. You know, and I myself having never popped a baby out of my vag, like, you know, hasn't been, <laughs> hasn't been all, hasn't been all stretched out, you know? And, um, but you get me thinking when you're like constant urination, cause I'm like, am I peeing every hour? Cause I'm super hydrated or am I peeing every hour? Cause I need to come to your vagina stretch class, you know? Yeah. And it's probably a little bit of both because you're the the dietitian, you know, I know that you're drinking, you're eating your water, all your fruits have all the water and the vegetables. But a lot of people, I don't think that they're realizing that we should be able to wait two to four hours. Before. Oh, hell no, that is not, that's not happening. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like sitting here doing the dance, like, oh, I've been recording an hour. I gotta get up. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, come to the stretch line, girl. <laughs> Oh my God. Well, I love you. You're so funny. Thank you so, so much for joining me. I will absolutely have you on in the near future to talk all things vagina health and vulva yeah. health and pelvic floor health and apparently vaginal tightness. <laughs> no. I'll do an assessment for you online. Oh, geez. Okay. Just, just oh. a horrible assessment, you guys. Nothing with video. <laughs> Oh my God, that would be hilarious. Uh, let's do it. Get it on the calendar. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks everyone for joining me for this week's episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. See you next time. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could open up the podcast app you're probably using to listen to this episode right now and leave a quick rating or review. Your reviews help this podcast get seen by more women who could benefit from the information I share here. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, stay balanced. Stay balanced.